Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. We give you thanks and praise, O most merciful Father, that you are the one who has blessed us with your word that we might be able to know of this good news, that this good news is proclaimed in all of your scripture. Even in the book of Jonah, we see the good news of Jesus Christ and him coming, that we who hear this message might be blessed from it, that you might unite us not merely to your word, but unite us to the word, Jesus Christ, that we find our salvation in him and him alone, that we listen not through ears uh, of the world, but ears of faith, ears given to us by the Spirit, that you would illuminate our hearts and shine where darkness often is in our sinful hearts, that all glory and honor would be given to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word, Lord, from Jonah chapter 4. Is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, therefore, Lord, oh, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would come become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, and it might be a shade over his head to save him from this discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind that the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant, for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. We come to the last part of the book of Jonah. An interesting end to an interesting book. When you think about it, most prophetic books focus on what the prophet says to the people. But Jonah really focuses on what Jonah says to God and ends with what God says to Jonah. It's not really about the message of the prophet per se, it's more about the prophet. 
And I think more importantly, more about the God who sends the prophet. Jonah is a book that is real and raw of how this prophet feels about God's mercy. He has many big questions and not many answers. As we looked at uh, this passage last time, the story really would have ended at the end of chapter 3. The Ninevites repented, God relented, and then the words would appear, they lived happily ever after, or at least Nahum comes into the picture. But the story is not so much about the Ninevites, it's about Jonah. This can make it hard-hitting and a challenging that as we as the people of God who know about God, but then sometimes we might not agree what God does. And here God continues to show mercy to Jonah. Although he's complaining about God's mercy and grace, it is God's mercy and grace that continues to be shown to Jonah. In the end of verse 4, God asks a question, do you do well to be angry? Now we notice that Jonah doesn't give an answer. Jonah complains to God in the first opening verses. He says, now take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. And God does not smite him immediately. He asks the question, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah doesn't answer. He storms up and he storms out of the city. He goes out of the city and sits on the east side of the city. He makes a small booth for himself and he sits underneath the shade. And he waits. He waits to be able to see what happens to the city. He gets out of the sun. He sits down. Now his message was simple. His message to the Ninevites was that yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He knows God has been gracious and merciful. But maybe Jonah hopes, maybe not the whole city would be overthrown, but maybe just a portion. Just a little bit of fire and brimstone to be rained down on this wicked city. Maybe he was waiting for the 40 days and hoping that God would fulfill the word that he gave to him. But Jonah still knew that God was going to relent, even from the very beginning. Even before he left Israel, trying to flee from God to be able to get to Tarshish. He said, is this what I, in verse 2, is this not what I said when I went, was yet in my country, that this is why I made haste and flee to Tarshish? For I knew that you are gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He knew that this was going to happen. So how does now God deal with Jonah? Does he leave him in despair and his misery? He's rejoicing over the relenting and the repenting of the Ninevites. What's one sobbing prophet to God? You could almost say the opposite. As God says in the end, here's a great city with 120,000 persons. But yet there's one prophet who God still takes the time to be able to ask questions of. God not only shows compassion and mercy to um, the Ninevites, but also to Jonah. 
the great and glorious thing about God that we often don't think about is God doesn't react to our reactions. He is unchanging. The Westminster Confession explains that he does not have any passions, that God is without body, parts, or passions. Now, this does not mean then he does not have what we might call emotions in some extent. But what this word speaks of, specifically passions, is a term to denote this strong and intraceable and barely controllable emotion, inclination with the respect of a particular person or thing, that there's something that fuels something in us that drives us to express this passion. We talk about it when we use words like a passionate murder. It's not merely that, that it was just a regular murder, although even in a regular murder, there are some passions that are involved in that, emotions. But the passionate murder is fueled by this reaction of this person and this conflict between these two people. The situation and the circumstances would change the outcome. If you remove this certain person or or fueling of that passion, then the outcome might be different. Passions speak of things that are changed based on the position they find themselves. Now, granted, this is all what happens in our emotions, that our emotions are stemmed from our sinful desires, that often they are fueled by the circumstances. However, we're told in the Bible that God is the same, yesterday and today and forever. And he acts according not to the situation which he finds himself in or the emotions which are hurled at him. He acts according to his nature and his attributes. So God is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And this is how God treats Jonah. Although Jonah's complaint against God is that he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, this is still how God reacts to Jonah, you might say. So even though Jonah is fuming mad at God, God is still gracious and merciful towards Jonah. And you see this in verse 6. That God appoints a plant and made it come over Jonah, that he might have shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Just as God appointed the, the giant storm to come upon that ship on the sea with Jonah on board, just as God appointed the giant sea creature to swallow Jonah, he now appoints a plant to come over to be able to save Jonah from this discomfort. Interesting question, maybe, for the car ride home. Why the plant? Jonah's already gone out there. He's already made himself a booth. Why does God then send a plant? We're told exactly why. You can discuss this on your car ride home. Why, why, what, what was the booth signifying or whatever? But we're told that it is to save him from his discomfort. Here he is outside. Maybe discomfort is not the best word here, and that's what most of the modern translations use. But those that follow the King James, the New King James says, to deliver him from his misery. This is based on the King James Version, which says, to deliver him from his grief. 
So it's not so much about the physical conditions that he finds himself in physical discomfort, but his own misery. That displeasing action that Jonah saw in verse 1 that of this evil which happened. I think that's what it speaks of. Maybe he thought that now God has given him a plant, so now God was going to show him the fireworks, give him the spectacle he wanted to see. He was delivered from his grief, and that made him happy. Before he was angry when God was relenting from disaster, and now he's exceedingly happy because he thinks God is not going to relent. James Montgomery Boyce pointed out, this is remarkable. Here Jonah is very happy. This is the first time in the story that Jonah has been happy about anything. The first thing we read about in the story was God's commission for him to preach in Nineveh. He did not like that. Then there was a storm. He had not liked that. He did not like the great fish, even though it had been his means of saving him from certain death. Apparently, he had not been happy even in the second commission. He had not been happy with the repentance of Nineveh. But now, now he is happy. He might finally get to see this justice before his eyes. But we realize now that God's ways are not our ways. Jonah interprets the plant maybe of God's judgment to come. But here, God had other intentions for the plant. See in verse 7 and 8. When dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was very faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Sometimes God sends a whale to save us. And other times God sends a worm or wind to make us uncomfortable again. Jonah is back where he started. He wanted to die, and that is what he asks again. He would rather die than not see God's mercy continue to be shown to the Ninevites. He would rather die than for, to be able to see God's mercy shown to the Ninevites. And this should repeat in our minds what happened at the start of the chapter. Jonah prays, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord's reaction is still the same. Do you be well to be angry? The first time Jonah did not listen, did not answer. So God spoke louder and clearer. Now with an illustration of this plant. Jonah ends in verse 9, 8 by saying, it is better for me to live, die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Now the question has more um, guts behind it. Now Jonah actually responds, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. He's here, the plant brings him comfort and joy, and he sits under this plant smiling and beaming ear to ear and now this plant is gone and he is angry and God says are you angry do you do well to be angry and Jonah says of course I'd be well to be angry 
angry enough to die. The first question that God might have asked in verse 4 might have been, do you do good to be angry for the city of Nineveh? Jonah doesn't have a response. But the second time, do you be good to be angry for the plants? And now he has something to talk about. The God now uses the image of the plant as the image of Nineveh. But the book ends not with Jonah giving his final say, not with the outcome of what happens to Jonah. The book ends with God's final word, asking one final question. God shows that it's not so much about the plant. It's about those who have repented and God's mercy whom he shows. God answers Jonah and says, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? God seeks to show Jonah that he is angry that the plant is wiped out after appearing in a moment and gone the next day. And God shows that this plant was not merely just to be able to show in Jonah's discomfort to make him glad for a moment, but as an illustration that it might be a lesson for Jonah. As the plant is to Jonah, Nineveh is to God. As the plant is to Jonah, Nineveh is to God. You pity the plant, Jonah. Well, should I not pity Nineveh? That great city which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. We find out from the very beginning that this is a great city and there's many reasons for this to be an archaeological, uh, architecturally great city, but God's not concerned about the, the city per se. He's worried about the people in the city. This is a great city not because of the buildings, but because of the people. Jonah sees the people as wicked, therefore deserving judgment. But God sees them as lost, deserving someone to help point them in the right way. They don't even know they're right from their left. They don't know good from evil. So he tries to teach Jonah why he's showing them mercy. You see them as wicked people, I see them as lost people. Even the cows are mentioned. And here I believe God is showing that we have levels of compassion. Plants are on the bottom. Jonah cares about the plants and nothing about the cows. But God is not only just concerned about the people, but also the cows. The God will show mercy to whom he wills. I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. And grace to whom I will show grace. But also I think there's something that I think that is somewhat missed in this. That if the plant represents Nineveh, then Nineveh and cities like Nineveh will come and go. God will raise them up and God will tear them down. They're raised for a purpose that here they're shown grace 
by God. About a hundred years from now, after this time in Jonah, Nahum writes in the opening chapter an oracle concerning Nineveh. The book of the vision of Nahum of Akosh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is an avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is a whirlwind and storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Here Nineveh shows the other end of that saying which we find in Exodus. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, but he will not always chide. He will not keep his anger forever. He will by no means clear the guilty. Nineveh will face God's wrath and judgment. He is slow to anger, but he is not. There is then no anger. He uses his great power to be able to judge those. And just as the plant was raised up and destroyed in a short time, so too is the story of Nineveh. But that is not the focus in the book of Jonah. As the book ends, God asks Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And God's answer is, you do well to be angry, I do well to be merciful. I think Matthew Henry summarizes this point quite well. Jonah had said, I do well to be angry, but he could not prove it. God says and proves it, I do well to be merciful. And it is a great encouragement to poor sinners to hope that they shall find mercy with him that he is so ready to justify himself in showing mercy and to triumph in those whom he makes the monuments of it against those whose eye is evil because his is good. Such murmurs shall be made to understand this doctrine, that how narrow, narrow soever their souls, their principles are, and how willing soever they are to engross divine grace to themselves and those of their own way. There is one Lord over all that is rich in mercy to all that call upon him. And in every nation in Nineveh, as well as in Israel, he that fears God who works righteousness is accepted of him. He that repents and turns from his evil way shall find mercy with him. Jonah's angry at God for not showing wrath, but God says, I am merciful, and I will show mercy. That I am a man, a God of my word, and I've promised that those who repent, who turn from their ways, will find mercy. Jonah even wrote this. In the belly of the whale, he said and finished his prayer that salvation belongs to who? To the Lord. And yet, weeks later, days later have passed, and Jonah says, it is my call whom you show mercy to, Lord. Salvation might belong to you, but you need to run it through me first. Jonah was seeking justice. God says, I'm showing mercy. 
For us then, we should see that Jonah, a justice seeker, did not understand God's way of showing justice. It's first to show mercy. That we, as believers, do not go to the judgment throne of God. We go to the mercy seat of God. You start with the mercy seat. We often think that we want justice given to others and only mercy shown to us. But that's the great thing about God, that He's unchanging. He does not show favoritism to one or the other. Jonah's sitting on the outside of the city, angry at God. But yet in the belly of the sea creature, he's praising God when God shows him mercy. One of the hardest prayers, I think, to pray is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I believe that Jonah ends in an unanswered question. And Jonah doesn't answer because Jonah wants us to answer that question. He puts it back on the person reading. It's not about Jonah's response to God. It's do we understand God's question and do we have the right answer? How do you react when you see God's mercy shown to others and not God's justice? And truth be told that we are more like Jonah than we sometimes are willing to admit. We are quick to want to be able to see justice given to others and receive grace ourselves. We're so joyous when we're driving down the highway and that, that state trooper pulls someone else over with their lights on top of their, he- their cars. You see that person speeding down the highway, and then you see the state trooper chasing them, and you rejoice. But how different it is when those lights are in the rear vision mirror. The first, we want justice for those breaking the law, and for the second, we want just mercy for those breaking the law. And Jonah is mad because he did not see this justice. But he's also not just mad that he didn't see the justice, he's mad at God for not giving the justice. That God actually showed the Ninevites grace. He praises God in chapter 2 for the grace and mercy that it was shown to him, but yet does not praise God for that same grace and mercy shown to others. We need to be able to answer that question posed by God that we would give glory to him who is merciful and gracious, low to anger and abounding in love. Once we understand this, we would never run from him, but we always run towards him, towards his grace and his mercy. Not only do we ourselves run to him who is gracious and merciful, but we point everyone in his direction saying he is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Go to Him. When we think about how God and want God to be able to treat others with His wrath and judgment, we need to stop and ask, 
how God treated us. We should always run to God because he's gracious and merciful. In the hymn, Come Ye Desolate Discontent, Wherever ye anguish, languish, come to the mercy seat. Fervently kneel. Here bring your wounded hearts, tell, here tell your anguish. Earth has no sorrows that heaven cannot heal. Joy of the comfortless, light of the strain, hope of the pertinent, fadeless and pure. Here speaks the comforter. In mercy saying, earth has no sorrows, sorrows that heaven cannot cure. It's an interesting book that we find ourselves in the book of Jonah, and it's interesting because it points the question back on us. We realize that we are more like Jonah than we would like to admit it. And we need the same mercy and grace that God has shown to Jonah as God shows to the Ninevites. We need to worship that same true, unchanging God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O most merciful and gracious Father, we give you thanks and praise for even such as a challenging book of the book of Jonah as we see of ourselves and our sinful hearts in another man's sinful heart. Lord, that we are often quick to be able to point the finger, to be able to want to see justice before our very eyes. But yet, Lord, we so quickly want to receive this grace and mercy from you. We pray, Lord, that we would be able to trust in you, knowing that you are a God who is gracious and merciful, who also carries out justice. Lord, let us not look to find justice in ourselves, but find justice through Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. That is where we see your justice and your mercy meet in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Help us to be able to trust in him, pointing others in that same direction of where they would find the same mercy and and grace of those who truly repent. We pray in Jesus' blessed and holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.